0: Det Här är ett poddradioprogram från Studentradion 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller i vår mobilapplikation Studentradio 98,9. Av upphovsrättsliga skäl är musiken förkortad. Shah, Durin, ispaan nisaa. Shah, Durin, live in the field of human country, but so much woe, by so many. Show show
1: you. Inga
0: wow. Hello and welcome, and a delayed happy national day for Norway, Sut on the Mai, was <laughs> at the beginning of this week. And uh, that actually is related to what we are going to talk about here today at Radio UF, at Student Radio 98.9. Uh, we are going to talk about the Nordic countries and Scandinavia, but have a bit of a focus on Sweden. And uh, we all know Scandinavia, and if you are listening to this... Uppsala-based student radio, then I bet that you have some sort of relation to Sweden at least. And I like to talk about Scandinavia and the Nordics, but it's difficult for me since I have only lived in Scandinavia all my life and I am of course Swedish. So that's why I brought some people with me in the studio today. And if we start off with Greta.
2: Foreigner number one. Hi, I'm Greta. I'm from the UK. I've lived in France and now I'm in Sweden and I'm going to be talking about healthcare.
0: All right, great, and our guest for this episode.
1: So James Fleming, foreigner number two. I'm from uh, Melbourne in Australia, and I'm studying a master's in cultural anthropology uh, here at Uppsala, and I'm I'm looking at industrial relations. So I'm going to talk about, see, Swedish industrial relations. Wonderful,
0: and not from Stockholm, so basically not from Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, okay, from the better side of Sweden. Ah, oh, come on.
3: Yeah, <laughs> Yo, I'm uh, Isaac, and I'm here going to talk about a bit of uh, Sweden's international cooperations and uh, cooperation with other countries like the no- Arctic Council as well as our representation of the Nordics as well as both the US and uh, Aust- Australia in uh, North Korea
0: Okay, cool and we will be right back after this break with more about Scandinavia Prince of Manhattan that takes that was Prince of Manhattan by Paranoid Cowboy. You're listening to Student 98.9, and we are Radio UF. The Nordic countries, or Scandinavia, it's complicated. It's important to note that during the history of the Nordics, borders and self-determination have been very loose concepts, to say the least. So most Nordic countries have at one point or another been part of another Nordic country. But they have basically all been independent since the early 1900s. Uh, We usually count countries like Finland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, and Iceland to the Nordic countries. Greenland is a part of Denmark, but it's uh, it's complicated as well. The thing that I've always found interesting is uh, the kind of rivalry that's been between some of the countries. And since I'm Swedish, I basically have to throw my professional neutrality out of the window because we're talking about Denmark. (laughs) And those are our sworn enemies... (laughs) <laughs> in um, uh, actually, in history, the countries that have fought the most wars are. It, it, it isn't French and Britain; it's Sweden and Denmark. Uh, we're at thirty now, um, <laughs> for no. now. <laughs> but it's been peaceful for two hundred years, and I'm, I, we mostly take our out our, our aggressions with football instead. Um, and Sweden is the best at that, so I'm happy with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, but all these countries. Um, regard. I'm very interested in the thought of pan-Scandinavianism, the kind of unitary movement of all of Scandinavia and sometimes Finland um, (sighs) in one uh, political union. And this kind of goes back because um, uh, we can trace it back to the end of the 1300s with the Kalmar Union. And that was Sweden, Norway, Denmark and Finland that was part of uh, Sweden at the time and Iceland and uh, it lasted for nearly 200 years and it's super interesting because there was like a federation and uh, the countries they weren't exactly governing each other's uh, businesses but they had a military alliance and it basically grew out after the um the black death because unlike what my edgy 13-year-old self thought uh, the plague wasn't a good thing actually mm-hmm. Uh, After two-thirds of Scandinavia or half of Scandinavia, the sources differ, had died out due to the plague, uh, there was suddenly a huge power vacuum and uh, the states that existed, or what we should call states, um, they couldn't fill it out. So uh, uh, the entire Baltic region was basically controlled by uh, the Hansa, uh, as in the corporations around the lake, and pirate lords. Um, so uh, it caused this unitary movement to form, but it broke in the 1500s when Sweden broke out of it. And it's a extremely long and complicated history. But during all of this time, all of these wars and occupations, uh, something changed in the 1800s um, because suddenly Sweden and Denmark, we didn't hate each other anymore. Um, there was actually this um, huge movement priori- primarily driven by Sweden and Denmark for a union and actually one of the main proponents of this was students in Lund and Copenhagen, and the king of Sweden and the king of-, king of Denmark who were drinking buddies and the students were also drinking buddies I guess. It's very interesting, It's kind of ended when uh, Prussia got involved in Denmark and the Swedish government basically told the king that no, we will not go to war because your drinking body wants um, Schleswig, um, a part of Denmark that is now part of Germany after Prussia's invasion. Nowadays we still have an amicable relation but uh, after the Cold War and the Second World War we all kind of did our own things. And um, today, the Scandinavian and the Nordic model is something that is talked about a lot, and uh, yeah, you might know it already: a comprehensive welfare state and multi-level collective bargaining. Um, but I think the even though the idea of a Scandinavian federation isn't as strong today as it was during the eighteen hundreds, um, there's still a kind of communal feeling between the countries. Um, it's more of a joke that Swedes hate Danes. Um, if I, that wasn't obvious. And uh, <laughs> um, we uh, Actually, I think it's very interesting, the relations between Sweden and Finland. Actually, during the COVID pandemic, the Swedish and Finnish prime minister has represented each other at different uh, top meetings due to uh, one or the other not being able to attend and the other person being able to step in. I think that we all like it that way and a federation might be a bit difficult but we are still very happy to help out our neighbors when we have to. And um, talking about helping out countries, Sweden and the Nordic has quite an interesting relation to diplomacy and we will get that back to that just after the break.
3: But
0: Bröllopet oh. by Linus Hasselbrod and uh, Monica Mack. And we are talking about the Nordics and uh, we're going to zero in a bit on Sweden. Surprise, surprise. And uh, uh, regarding diplomacy, I think we have a very interesting relationship with our countries. since the third wife.
3: Yes. And starting off, I'm just going to do a brief rundown of um, interesting cooperation or cooperation we have with the Scandinavian countries, as well as Russia, the United States and Canada around uh, the Arctic. And uh, it's an uh, agreement to help and facilitate the independence of the indigenous people of the Arctic, as well as maintain laws of uh, aerodynamic and marine time safety, hmm. uh, something from the United Nations. It's not a binding Governing body. It's more. Um, they uh, we agree on certain things not to do in the Arctic. So currently, not exploit exploitate uh, the Arctic for economic gain, but also because it's currently infeasible because of the ice, which might change in the future. And oh. the only real commitments are the search and protect, in case of uh, maritime emergency in the region, as well as preventing or containing a leakage of uh, natural gas or oil in the region. But continuing this, because this ties rather nicely, I think, into the Swedish diplomatic mission in North Korea, where we also represent the Nordic countries, as well as the United States, Canada, not Russia this time, uh, but instead both Australia and Italy. And this comes from a very early Uh, adoption of or early recognition of North Korea because Sweden were active as a neutral party and supplying medical aid during the Korean War in the 50s and that transformed or made it so that we were among the first countries in the yeah among the first countries to officially recognize North Korea as an independent nation in 1973 as well as being the first Western country to have official diplomatic ties where we established the embassy in the 19, 1975. Um, and as a result, we were also the only Western country having an uninterrupted diplomatic mission with North Korea from 1975 to 2001. Um, this is partly because the relationship with South Korea and North Korea and the United States soured in the 2000s which made it so that Sweden became the protectorate of the United States and we're vicariously representing them in the country as well as handling visa negotiations and whatnot. Interestingly, the original idea with this cooperation, cooperation with, or the bilateral agreement with North Korea was for Swedish economy or like Volvo, for example, to sell products to North Korea, mm-hmm. which we did. We sold them a thousand cars that they'd never paid for and currently owe us 3.7 billion Swedish kronor. Uh, and as that, because of that fiasco, which has been considered the greatest car theft
0: in history. <laughs> Eat your heart out, Nicolas Cage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, As a result, our goal in North Korea slowly shifted because we realized economic um, cooperation wasn't really going to work out. But uh, we still maintained a diplomatic presence in the country. And this has developed to, even though we had some epochs of uh, souring relations, we eventually developed a more um, diplomatic mission to try and help North Korea because we realized how dire the situation really was in the country and as a result Sida
0: Swedish Development Agency
3: yeah deems it imperative that we keep continue our diplomatic mission in this region cool i wanna buy a north
0: korean volvo
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: we'll be right back <laughs> You are listening to Sträntradio 98.9, we are Radio UF. And thank you, Sam Florian and Nabrì, for writing a song about me, Pretty But Stupid. And (laughs) we are back, and um, we actually have some anecdotal experience here in the studio today. And uh, would you like to um, tell us a bit about it?
2: I would love to. It's no secret that the Nordic welfare model is both admired and envied across the world. It's one of the first things that foreign students are taught about Sweden, and rightly so. But just how well is the Swedish healthcare system functioning today? Well, I have recently had a first-hand experience of Swedish healthcare as I fractured my ankle a week or so ago. Thank you for your support. Uh, In fact, one of the top questions my friends have asked me since fracturing my ankle is what Swedish healthcare is like. Actually, even one of the first conversations I had when I moved to Sweden was about how good the healthcare here is. And my experience has pretty much backed that up. Since I fractured my ankle less than a fortnight ago, I have been seen by five nurses, four radiologists, three orthopedic doctors, two pharmacists, and a partridge in a petri. I have had two x-rays and a CT scan, plus three follow-up calls from the doctor, all for the price of 250 kroner. That is incredibly thorough. Um, that being said, getting healthcare as a foreigner is hard work. Without the magical Swedish personal number, you cannot access any automated services or even get a COVID test. And it's highly frustrating. Well, easily get a COVID test, I should say. Um, Moreover, before I got seen by any of the wonderful healthcare professions I've met, I was asked to pay up. I really believe in free healthcare and I don't think you should have to pay before you've even been seen by a doctor. Honestly, if my European card had not been accepted, there is a fair chance I would have refused to pay the 2,700 krona they were asking of me and possibly dislocated my ankle by not seeing a doctor. That being said, Swedish healthcare is obviously very cheap. Hospitalisation fees are not allowed to surpass 100 krona, prescriptions are capped at 2,350 krona a year and all medical services are free to minors. To continue focusing on patients, another key factor to consider are waiting times. According to Swedish law, all patients should be in, con- in contact with, local health, with a local health centre the same day they seek health and should get a medical assessment within three days. After initial examination, no patient should have to wait more than 90 days to see a specialist and no more than 90 days for an operation. With that in mind, what do you think the average waiting time is in Sweden to receive a hip replacement operation?
0: I already know the answer, so I'm not going to answer. <laughs> <laughs> Th- three months.
2: Three months? Isaac?
3: I would have guessed upwards of 100 days.
2: It's actually 75 days in Sweden, which is really good and also below the OECD average. Mm -hmm. Australia is above the OECD average. Wow. So so it's probably not as bad as the media makes out. Um, I was also pleasantly surprised to hear that the maximum waiting time targets are the same for mental health as they are for physical health. That said, every third patient in Sweden waits longer than the 90-day promise. And in Sweden, the deadline for patients to see a general practitioner is seven days, which is the second longest deadline in Europe. Moreover, waiting times vary dramatically across Sweden. In the 2016 average wait for prostate cancer surgery was 120 days, but 271 days in Västerbotten. The funding for Swedish healthcare is high. In fact, Sweden has the EU's third highest spending on healthcare, an 11% share of its GDP. However, as I'm sure many of the Swedish listeners are aware, medical professionals are very, very underpaid. The average nurse's salary is about 437,000 kroner. This is problematic as poor pay has resulted in many medical professionals leaving the workplace. A recent study showed um, that nurses in Sweden uh, facing poor pay uh, often, uh, often experience uh, high stress, which causes low job satisfaction, and that's a significant factor in why many nurses stop working in their professions. In 2010, 10.5% of Swedish nurses had suffered problems at work due to stress, but by 2016, this figure had reached 16%. These are the people who have saved lives all throughout the pandemic and yet are receiving a pittance in return. This debate has been going on for a long time and is only made more obvious in light of the pandemic. Therefore, it remains clear that protecting the medical service and the staff that have helped so many people this past year, not to mention the work they do in ordinary times, requires support and funding in order to continue functioning well.
0: All right. We'll be right back. You just heard Två Framot, Framåt, Aldrig by Maidar. And uh, welcome back. And uh, we are talking a bit about arguably one of the most significant part of the quote-unquote Nordic model. We're talking about industrial relations.
1: And James, would you like to tell us about this? Sure, I'd love to. <laughs> Uh, so as Greta was saying, the, the Sweden and the Nordic countries are known for being quite equal, So, uh, especially historically. Sweden was probably the most socioeconomically equal country in the world in, in the 80s. Um, that picture's changed a little bit, but not relatively. I mean, in the neoliberal era since the 80s, uh, all Western countries have become less equal, and there's been a big fall um, in Sweden's performance and the genie indicator of inequality, for example, or rise, rather. Uh, but it's still above the OECD average on a, a lot of measures. And all of the Nordic countries have a similar industrial re- relations model, which uh, plays a big role in that. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that and, and its role. And I've been investigating that as part of actually a cultural anthropology uh, thesis. And, yeah, what sets Sweden and the other Nordic countries apart is that industrial relations, so that's like the relations between labour and capital between business and unions is is very centralised and it's very deregulated. So unlike in other European countries, in Sweden, there's no minimum wage laws. So if you're not covered by a collective agreement in your workplace, they can, in theory, uh, pay you whatever they want, which is quite kind of a strange system. But then they have the highest uh, coverage. So 90% of businesses in Sweden are covered by these collective agreements and have very high union membership. So historically, it was almost ninety percent, and now M- Melk will be sad to know that Denmark is one of the only countries beating Sweden in union density. It. But it's about sixty-seven percent. I think in, in Denmark, it's sixty-seven point two, and only Cuba beats uh, <laughs> <laughs> those two countries right. in terms of union membership. Yeah. So, they, so yeah. So, and these, uh, they, so everything's made by collective agreements, all, all the wages, and the, the what they what they're called the arbejdsmarkedspartner or the social partners. They play a big role. Um, in, in managing the labor market independently of government. And so I was looking at why, how did this system come about and why do they cooperate? Why do businesses in Sweden support high union density? And um, I was actually... There's been a, a couple of rival theories, and one of them is that recently uh, Viteshek and Midtun have argued in their book Sustainable Modernity that it's, if we look to nature, and the way Darwinian evolution works... There's actually a lot more cooperation in nature than a sort of traditional crude idea of competition would have you believe, Mm -hmm. and that that cooperation and competition actually work in synergy with each other. And I was actually arguing against that because uh, being from the cultural anthropology department at Uppsala, we're very nervous about drawing uh, parallels between human behavior and nature. And mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't think we're allowed to talk about the uh, race biology <laughs> <laughs> department <laughs> <We're> <laughs> <allowed> <laughs> to it itself. used to be at Uppsala. They <laughs> used to measure people's cranium, but that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. uh, we don't like those kind of parallels. So instead, I was actually looking at the moral economy um, of the corporation. So what kind of moral norms like, uh, govern these institutions? And, and uh, yeah... What, and, what, and what the institutions themselves their, their traditions and their history and how does that lead to cooperation and and lead to equality
0: all right that's really interesting mm-hmm. and um, would you say that um, comparing to Australia do you think there's any interesting parallels or differences that uh, really stands out
1: well yeah our, our systems are both of our systems are very strange Um mm-hmm. In overlapping ways, and this, the Australian model used to be much more like the Swedish model. We've got a very centralized model, but it's around a tribunal, so there's a, a kind of court in, involved. Um, and we also had very high. So Australia uh, used to be called workers' paradise in mm-hmm. in uh, sort of pre-war, and had very high wages, uh, protectionist policies, and very high yeah very high union density. So over fifty percent, sort of a, yeah, sort of around the levels that. Um, nor- Norway is today. Mm-hmm. But now it's dropped down to about 15%, whereas Sweden's, you know, still up at 67. And part of this is because of that institutional role that, that the, the institutions yet uh, play. So I was interested in lo- looking at that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, very interesting uh, to learn so much about this. You're an, ac- an actual expert on it, which is great mm. to have. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. God folk, Det här och ni lyssnar på 98,9. Skruva upp volymen. All right, welcome back to Radio UF at Studentradio 98,9. The song was Idioter by Heliga Blå, and um, we are talking a bit about Scandinavia, but mostly about Sweden. Regarding the welfare systems, we still have a little bit to talk about regarding the healthcare, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. One thing I I wanted to touch upon is just that hospitals in Sweden are being closed down left, right and centre. And I find it actually quite shocking. For example, in uh, Seleftu the only maternity ward was shut down to save money. So now the closest maternity ward is 200 kilometres away and midwives are having to offer classes on how to deliver babies in cars. And, you know, in 1990, Sweden had 12.4 hospital beds for every thousand people. And today it's only 2.1. Compared to in Norway, it's 3.6 and then 3.3. And this is also something that I witnessed in the emergency room in Uppsala. And again, this is something you also see in the UK and I'm sure in Australia as well. But I did see patients sleeping on beds and corridors, and it's really unfortunate to see. It's definitely true that Sweden has significantly fewer nurses per inhabitant than the rest of the Nordic countries, which, of course, then increases the stress that nurses are having to, to face on a daily basis. And it's also exposing patients to further injuries.
0: That's an issue, and it's such a complex thing to go into in Sweden because it's a co- connected to a lot of political things. But uh, we we talked about this before regarding welfare states that natural resources and a good capital base is good to keep it going. That might be in a bit at odds with the like late nineties uh, profit motive. maximization mm. motive, and and that's my spontaneous thoughts about it. <laughs>
3: yeah, uh, likewise. It seems like. We spend a lot more on administrative tasks in hospitals than we do nurses currently, but it's also hard to tell because I know my mother has three friends who work as nurses, two of which are in a freelance company that employ them to the state and one of which who work for the state. The two who are not directly working for the state have better pay, better options uh, for work hours compared to the one who works for the state for a lower pay and has to work every other weekend something as well, as well as being really overworked during these times.
2: Mm. I was very shocked by it also because in the UK, there's been a big debate about the fact that nurses haven't had um, a significant pay rise during the pandemic. Um, and then I looked it up and Swedish nurses get paid even less than in the UK. Mm. Uh, and just, yeah, given that you have so much more funding, it is really shocking. And I guess the only answer is that y- the money is just going elsewhere to administrative uh, services.
0: And some higher like uh, doctor and specialists mm. Uh, mm. get paid better as well.
1: Well, I was looking at a, a, this a little bit in my thesis, just the shift to this philosophy of new public management in the mm. 90s. So oh, as Part the, of the neoliberal yeah. shift. There's a whole different idea about the role of the state, and you know, wanting to shrink the state and mm. limit pay rises of nurses and rationalise the state and treat the state like a, a business. But it seemed to happen in Sweden ten years later than right. everywhere else, like in the in the nineties. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a, that was definitely something we discussed. The new public management. Um, style and that's also echoed by a lot of uh, workers that's yeah we spend more time writing reports than actually doing our jobs and that's the same uh, within teaching as well in sweden Uh, i know about it
3: yeah because there seems to be a great focus on what's the cost of educating ex child and what's the cost of having a hospital in this area but you don't look at uh, yeah so then you look at oh and what are the revenue streams for this but some of these things are also public goods that are necessary for the state to function well, which can't operate well under a cost uh, reduction.
0: Well, yeah, a really interesting example is Finland because during the pandemic they already had a they already had. Um, uh, when everyone was suffering material shortages, Finland has been building up uh, this reserve of material mm. in secret locations around the country to use in just these situations. Mm. And yeah, that that costs money, uh, but mm. it's very, very handy in situations like this. And I think this on-time production is very harmful.
3: And it's also interesting because not too long ago, Sweden used to have the same, but we uh, disassembled those because we thought it cost too much. And now when we're looking at reopening in them again, uh, the cost is a lot greater than just maintaining them for the period we didn't.
0: Whoops. Whoops. All right. <laughs> we'll be right back. I fell in love. It was fun. All right. That was Rubber Bands by Bervin. And uh, we are going to talk a little bit more about the effects of pandemic on these sorts of models and economic thinking.
1: James? I want to talk a little bit about, about this idea of peak neoliberalism in Sweden because what I found in, in my research about industrial relations cooperation was Actually, there's been this long neoliberal trend of less cooperation between the unions and the employer bodies and a decentralisation. And, and so that means, you know, uh, wages are not set so that they're relatively equal across a whole industry or across the whole nation anymore. Uh, inequality was actually encouraged. And so... Wage negotiations happen more and more just at the local workplace level, and this idea that you know pay incentives would motivate people, and so it's actually a conscious project to increase inequality. But it doesn't seem, it seems to be going the other way now, and um, it seems to be driven by a number of things, but increased instability in political instability in Sweden in in the world. One of the things, a few of the things that are driving employers and unions to cooperate more together and to negotiate and to go back to a bit more of a centralised model. And so maybe peak neoliberalism has passed in industrial relations in Sweden.
0: And I think we can see that all around the world, basically. But the most important thing isn't really the profit margin anymore. I mean, Joe Biden is far from being on, quote, unquote, the left in the U.S., (laughs) uh, but he is much more open to spending government money. And that might be an effect of the pandemic.
2: One thing we've seen also in Britain is kind of been the slightly confused government policy as usual. Is that the Conservatives have been spending a lot of money in my opinion rightly so, although as I as I said earlier they haven't been spending that on increasing salaries for nurses or medical practitioners.
0: Trident nuclear missiles. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> um
2: but oh. you know it is it is something that we are seeing but at the same time you've got a government that said that greed and capitalism is the reason why our vaccine rollout has been a success. So yeah, I don't I don't think peak neoliberalism is over just yet.
3: (laughs) In Sweden, we also have this interesting idea that as we realize when we decentralize a lot of things, you also have to make sure, especially with both private healthcare as well as private schooling, that they live up to the expectations that are set upon them because they still get public funding, and this also adds another layer of cost. Meaning that even though they might like save a bit because they might produce. The service a bit more efficient you still then had to add the profit they take out as well as make sure that they're performing to up to
0: expectations mm-hmm. and i also think in general with the pandemic this might be a bit it's related but like the death of small government or what you should call it because the countries has mm-hmm. managed this the best have had a very direct top-down organization We also see that with with dictatorships, with economic trends, that uh, they they have an argument that this system works despite the grave human rights violations. That might be a part of the greater 10 that might be sped on by the pandemic. We'll have to see. But uh, now we're going to have a break. Welcome back to Student Radio 98.9, my name is Melkir Hörner and we've been talking about Scandinavia but mostly Sweden. Since we have two um, exchange students, I guess I'd call you for now, I would like to ask, what are some fun, fun things that Swedes do that I don't notice?
2: Well, this maybe isn't so fun, but you don't open the door for me when I'm on my crutches. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The sadness to avoid, the, to avoid their social interaction.
1: Oh, That's being kind. <laughs> <laughs> oh. They give you your personal space. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> it's because they care about you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's probably just an Upsala thing, but uh, I love how there's all this serenading all the time but, uh, with the, so many choirs. Apparently, mm. yeah. Apparently, that is a Swedish thing. The, mm-hmm. the highest. Was it portion of proportion of choir singers in the take world take that Dan Mark <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, thought you were going to
2: say Flukstavrålet and then you went choir so I, okay, oh, yeah,
1: yeah. No, <laughs> I hear it all the time yeah, uh, the male choirs coming to sing the balconies of the female cho- uh, choir members and mm. vice versa well, yeah. uh, does that happen just spontaneously throughout Sweden or is that just <laughs> a student not in Stockholm not in, oh, Stockholm. Not in Stockholm non-stop oh, wow. musical
2: <laughs> no
3: but it seems like <laughs> a very middle-aged gay yeah. thing because I know my mother is part of a choir back home and they travel to different places she's been to Wales they usually yes. come to Stockholm every now and then and they also travel to Norway and sing mm-hmm. there are different like choir assemblies where they join like several smaller crowd into this huge one that my mother really likes and mm-hmm. then as well I know my aunt's husband he's also in a male choir back home in ah. his rural part of Sweden so it seems like uh, that's what you do when you get <laughs> old in Sweden out you in the countryside you join the choir
0: and you're never allowed to sit next to someone on public transport if you you can avoid it yeah (laughs) okay my name has been melker and uh with me in the studio i've had three wonderful guests isaac james greta (laughs) all right thank you all for listening we will see you next week with our next episode yeah take care goodbye everyone
2: have a nice evening
0: thanks Du har lyssnat på en podcast från Studentradion 98,9. Alla våra poddar och program hittar du på studentradion.com eller där poddar finns. Kom ihåg, att lyssna fritt är stort. Att lyssna rätt är större.